You are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarland. We hope you enjoy. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today as we continue our series on the stories of Samuel. And I thought I'd start with a story that goes back a few years, probably about five or six, to Cincinnati Zoo, uh, some place I'm familiar with, I've been to before. And uh, about six years ago on Memorial Day weekend, there was a lot of people there. Mom brought her kids, and one of her kids, her son, snuck away from mom, got away from mom, and ventured out to find things to do. Now, come on, just can, can we be honest with the kids in the room? How many of you kids have run away or got away from mom before in a store or someplace like that? How many of you older kids have gotten away from your parent in a store or something like that? You're lying, because I know you guys did that, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, this boy ran away from his mother got over to the gorilla exhibit and wanted to play with the gorilla there. He jumped down into the pit. Maybe he fell, but it seems like he jumped down into the pit to play with the gorilla and the gorilla immediately came over to the boy. And not knowing whether the gorilla was there to protect the boy or was actually going to attack the boy, the zookeepers had to make a very quick decision. They had to put the gorilla down in order to save the child. Yeah, can we just like all say, oh, oh. Sad but wise choice for the sake of the boy. It would have stopped there in most people's eyes, but it didn't. Because thanks to social media and all of the night TV shows and the talk shows and radio shows, the story continued and the attack changed from just being about a bad incident that was unfortunate to finger pointing at the mother for not watching her child. They blamed the mother for the death of the animal and wanted her to be prosecuted and the children taken away and put into custody. They started attacking her over and over, left and right. And you know how this works. Once you get something like that out on social media or reputation, it just never stops. And this lady went under assault verbally and emotionally from a mistake that happened with her son. Now, I bring all that up not to talk about gorillas, not to talk about the sadness of that story. I bring it up to talk about this. Does everybody have one of these? Young, everybody, Diana, do you have one of these? Everybody raise, if you got one of these, make sure it's the right finger. Raise it up. We're all good at this thing right here, aren't we? Point, point at somebody next to you. See, see if you've got the skill to do this right here. Yeah. Our culture, for centuries really, but our culture is good at playing the blame game, pointing the finger at somebody else, finding somebody at fault even in, in an unfortunate situation like what happened in that zoo. And you see this on the news all the time. And you see this at work or in schools all the time. People are good at pointing the finger. You know what? You even see this in churches all the time. Good at pointing the finger at everybody else being the problem. 
Instead of what? Instead of turning the finger back to us. We're going to learn in Samuel today that God takes notice when there's injustice and he will take action. But he more notices when we demonstrate our spiritual need to him than to blame everybody else for our problems. And you're going to see it in a big way today as we continue the story of Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel. Here's what, here's what I'm doing. I'm just going through this book. I'm pulling out just the stories of Samuel out of this book that describes what Samuel as a prophet, as a priest, as a leader was facing in Israel at the time that he was leading Israel. He was just considered a boy in a temple last time when we talked. And God spoke to him and spoke through him about the punishment coming to Eli, his godfather, and to the boys of Eli who were sinning against God, Samuel was going to take on the role of priest and prophet from the family of Eli when they died. And sure enough, if you read chapters 4 through 6, that does happen. Eli and his boys will go into battle against the Philistines. Philistines is an interesting group of people. They're like the bullies of the Old Testament. They're bigger than the Israelites. They're stronger than the Israelites. They're more equipped than the Israelites. They're meaner than the Israelites. They're like, do you guys remember bullies in school? They still have those, don't they? Okay. That's the Philistines. And they were bullying Israel and profiting off of them and stealing their stuff and beating them up and attacking them in villages and taking their cities. And all of this is going on. And Eli and his sons get into a battle with them. And both, all three of those boys, that may, dad and the two boys, dies in the battle. And not only that, it's worse. Read this later. Not only that's worse, but the ark of God gets captured and taken by the Philistines. Now, here's the thing about the Ark of God. If you don't know anything about that from Old Testament history, it was the representation of the presence of God. Wherever the Ark was, you can bet your bottom dollar that God's presence was there as well. When you would go to worship in the tabernacle, and the tabernacle had in the back of it, in this hidden room, the Ark of God, you knew you were entering the presence of God to worship. When they would take the Ark in, into battle like Eli did, they assumed that God's presence would go into the battle and they would be victorious. And that day they weren't because God's presence was against Eli. The Ark goes to the Philistines. Only problem with that is this. Again, you'll read this later. When holiness goes into an area of unholiness, guess who wins? Holiness. They stick the ark in the in the ground in the temple, excuse me. They stick the ark in the temple of Dagon, and Dagon the next day they wake up and he's flat on the ground to represent the fact that God's holiness is bigger than any man-made God of this world. And then the worst thing's that, rats start showing up in their houses, sores keep showing up on all the people's skin. It's a bad moment. And they say, get that ark of God out of here because it's messing with us. And they send it on a cart away from the Philistines. Sure enough, it heads right back to Israel. That's where we're picking up the story of Samuel. Samuel was a boy, just like some of you boys, and he's grown up to be a man, and he's serving as a priest. And the ark of God returns to the land of Israel. And we're picking up the story about the finger pointing and what to do about it when we need help from God. 
Here's how the story begins, chapter 7. So the men of Kirith-Jerim, that's this town, close by to where the ark returned, they take the ark of the Lord and they bring it into Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrate it, they made holy, Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. Hey, we're going to put it in your house. You hold on to it till we figure out what to do. So the ark remained at Kirith-Jerim a long time. Get this, 20 years in all. For 20 years. Israel never returned the ark back to their worship town. For 20 years, they just kept the ark on the remote area of Israel where the Philistines had returned it. And then get this, after 20 years, then all the people, all the people of Israel finally turned back to the Lord. Now, what you need to do is understand the story that's been going on. For 20 years, the Philistines were still attacking Israel. For 20 years, they just felt bullied and they felt it was unjust and they, they were dealing with all of the problems that were, their nation was facing. For 20 years, the Israelites were just pointing the finger at everybody else as the problem. Oh, Eli, it was his fault. He should have never taken the ark into battle. Oh, it was his son's fault. They were sinning against God. Oh, it was, it was you guys' fault. You didn't, you didn't follow Eli into battle. Oh, it's the Philistines' fault. It's the world's fault. It's every, and everybody's doing this. And it took them 20 years, listen, it took them 20 years to quit doing this and to start doing this. How long does it take you? 20? How long does it take our nation? 200? How long is it going to take the Christian body of Christ? 20? When do we stop pointing the finger at everybody else and start going back to God? See, God notices not your cries for justice. He listens to those. But God notices your sorrow for sin. There's a difference. I can cry for justice all I want and there may never be a justice come back come to fix the problem I'm crying for. Why? Because our sin gets in the way of our prayers. We need to acknowledge the sin of our lives that has caused the root problems that have created the injustices in the world. I found this ironic. Yesterday we got to celebrate our granddaughters graduation from college. It was really cool. And you know how this works, right? When you go to graduation, high school, college, or whatever, you go through all of the speeches to get to the part you're really there for. You guys with me? So they go through the speeches, and it's really good. You know, we're enjoying it, taking pictures, and we're having fun. I could tell you lots of stories from yesterday. And we get to one of the speakers, and I don't remember her name. She was very articulate. She represented the student body of graduates that were there, several hundred graduates. And she gets up, and she has this very good speech. I can't articulate exactly word for word what she said, but I found it ironic, these two things she said that were back-to-back. One of them was she was calling the graduates to stand for the injustice of things like mask murders that we just saw in Buffalo. To do what it takes to stop these mass murders from happening. And then she turns right around and says in the next breath, and to stand for women's rights to, to dictate what they want to do with their bodies. And I just listened to that and said, oh Lord, help us. 
How is it that we can stand for against an individual's rights in one case and then stand for an individual's rights and both of them are killing hundreds of people? How is that logical? And when I've been preparing this message and then I heard that, my heart broke again. Because in our culture, we're more interested in standing for our rights than crying out to God in our sin. In our culture, we'd rather argue on the courts of the Supreme Court steps than get on our knees and cry out to God saying, we screwed up. And even it's true with the Christian world as well as those that don't believe. We're quick to point the finger instead of express our sorrow for our own failure. Come on. It's like, it's like when I grew up with a kid, as a kid. Children know this. You guys know this as parents. Clean your room. Fine. Clean your room. I'll get to it later. Does this sound familiar? Clean your room. All right, I cleaned it. You don't get to go outside till you clean your room. Mom, I'm sorry. Can I, can I, can I, now can I go outside? No. Why? Because you're still messing up. For 20 years, Israel would not acknowledge that they were the ones at fault. And I, I, I want to be gentle with the words I use here, but not gentle with the point. We are at fault here. Our sin, our behavior, our selfishness, our pride, our desire to satisfy the flesh instead of live in purity for God, our, our point the finger at God and say, you need to fix this, but then do nothing to acknowledge our own problems and our own failures. He's just waiting on us to finally get it. We need to cry out in sorrow for what we've made this nation. We need to own the fact that we're part of the problem. So if you'll bear with me for just a second, I felt like we needed to pause and listen to what this text is saying to all of us. Because God notices our sorrow, not our finger pointing. So what I'm going to do is this, and you can join me if you want, or you can sit where you're at, that's fine. I'm just going to get on my knees for a few minutes and pray and plead for God to forgive us. I know we're just a small church. I know we're just a few people here. You're watching the broadcast. That's great. You can join us. But for once, can we quit pointing the finger and own what we've done? You can join me on your knees. I know the cement is hard or sit there with me, if you will. But I'd like to pray. And I still, God, even after first service, I still don't even have the words. I look at what our sin has created 
selfishness, our pride, our ego, our demand for our own rights, and all it's produced is death out of the womb and death in shopping marts and pain and hurt in families and kids. Our own sin has created a country that's more about its own selfishness than it is about following you. We need your help. We can't fix this without you. And we need your help to fix us personally too. So we call out your name over our plight. We ask for your forgiveness and cry out in sorrow that you would heal our land. Rescue us, God. And change our hearts as people and as a nation and as a world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We could stop right there today and that would be enough. But the story doesn't stop. In fact, I'm grateful it doesn't. Because as the nation of Israel finally realizes they're the ones causing the problem and plead to God in sorrow, something changes. Enter Samuel and the story goes on. Samuel is now the priest. He's a, he's a priest and a prophet. He's a priest appealing for the people to God and he's a prophet speaking for God to the people. They are recognizing him as a priest. They're going to see him as a prophet now because he says to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of all the foreign gods and the asterisks and, the, and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines, out of these bullies. So the Israelites put away their bales and their asterisks. That's, that's their idols and their worship poles and all the things they were worshiping. And they served the Lord only. They wiped them out. They burned them. They got rid of them, destroyed them. And they started only serving God. And then Samuel says, okay, assemble all of Israel at Mizpah, this worship center at the time, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. I'm going to be a priest on your behalf. And when they assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord to show that they are making God the priority even over the daily essentials of food and water. They are demonstrating to God this act of worship that we're fully devoted to you. And on that day, they fasted and they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Maybe just pause right there. That's what we just did. I mean, maybe you would be willing to say it out loud with me. We have sinned against the Lord. And now Samuel was serving as a leader of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines 
heard that Israel was crying out to the Lord their God for, for us uh, when the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack Israel. And when the Israelites heard it, they were afraid because they weren't ready. They, were, they weren't ready for the Philistines. And so they said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of these bullies. And then Samuel took a suckling lamb, a, a one-year-old lamb, and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. And get this, the Lord answered him. The Lord took notice. Why? Not only because they gave sorrow for their sin, but they did this other thing that it's a word we don't use very much these days. They consecrated themselves to God. They consecrated themselves to God. Say that word with me. Consecrated. What that means is to make yourself holy, to make yourself separate of the world, to give yourself fully over to God, and to let him be in charge of your life instead of what you want or what the world is telling you to do. Consecrate. Make myself part of what God wants for me. To do that, you have to do a few things. First of all, you have to repent. And that's what they did. We have sinned against the Lord. God, we've gone this way. We've screwed up. It's time for us to turn back to you. We confess. We own it. We were the ones at fault. To repent means I'm turning back to God from the ways I went. I, I went the way of alcohol, drugs, whatever. You can name the list. I'm turning back to God. I went the way of selfishness and pride and greed. I'm turning back to God. I went the way of, of just giving a little tip to God occasionally. I'm turning back to giving regularly to God. I I went the way of serving myself. I'm turning back to serving the Lord. And little. Thank you for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net/giving.